Welcome to another episode of the Ask a CISO podcast, powered by Harangi, Asia's leader in cloud security. Every episode, you get insider tips and insights into current challenges and newest trends in cybersecurity from the world's best experts to help level up your cybersecurity career. Here's your host, Paul Hadji, to introduce today's guest. Hello, everyone. I'm Paul Hadji, host of uh, Escasiso. Uh, just wanted to um, welcome our esteemed guest, uh, Ned Lowe. Uh, Ned is the head of engineering for Sing Life with Aviva, where he oversees direction and strategy for Sing Life's tech stack. Prior to Sing Life, uh, Ned spent 12 years working in equity and fixed income trading uh, technology at Bank of America Merrill Lynch. He left the bank and set up his own SaaS startup, Argomi, uh, after being bitten by the startup bug. Uh, and then uh, Ned joined uh, Amazon Web Services to help financial institutions with our digital transformation strategy. Ned picked up coding at the age of eight and had always envisioned himself being a chip designer. On his days off, he can usually be found running up and down mountains, a mean feat given the absence of mountains in uh, Singapore. Uh, welcome, Ned. It's great to be here. Uh... And uh, yeah, it's uh, very difficult to find mountains in, in Singapore. I don't think Bukitima counts, but uh, there you go. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I've, I've, I've seen the Bukitima Hill. It's, it's, it's very much a hill <laughs> and not much. <laughs> um, but yeah, how have things been? Um, we, we haven't seen each other in a month or two, but um, yeah, it's curious well, what's, what's happening. Well, uh, I'm sort of knees deep in, in integration work uh, between you know, Legacy Sing Life and, and Via Viva Singapore entity that was uh, acquired. Um, that's taken up most of my time these days. Uh, it's a lot of fun, but there's a lot of work to do. So uh, I'm sure we'll get into some of that as we talk. Yeah, for sure. I can't. I mean, yeah, you have two very different companies uh, sort of uh, working together to solve a, a hard problem, right? And I think, I think it's, it is very interesting. I look forward to, to talking about that. Um, but yeah, kind of tell us how you ended up in Singapore. Uh, obviously, you're, you're not Singaporean. And um, uh, uh, yeah, sure. how you started so, in well. um, Like I've been in Singapore off and on for a long time. I first moved here in 2006. Um, but I've left and come back and left and come back and, and, and you know, now I'm pretty, pretty sure this is going to be home. Um, I moved to Asia in 2005, so I've, I've, been, I've been in the region for quite a while now. Um, joining Sing Life was uh, just one of those coincidental experiences, I guess, really, where uh, I met a couple of the Sing Life people. Um, Walter in particular, uh, the, the founder, who sort of inspired me that this was the place I wanted to be. Um, and, and, and yeah, we had some conversations. It seemed like I could help. The mission was amazing. The vision was amazing. Um, and I wanted to do more startup stuff. I was at AWS at the time. Uh, jumped in with both feet and, and here we are three. Yeah, exciting stuff. And it's been amazing to see uh, Sing Life's growth too. I think um, uh, I still remember visiting, I think Walter actually when I when uh, I think even before you were there and, and like it was a small office and now today you guys yeah. see your sign outside of the, the building down there in Tanjong Pagar. So uh, pretty, pretty cool stuff. Um, so yeah, like um, speaking of Sing Life, can you kind of tell our listeners about the company, uh, what you do and of course, what differentiates uh, Sing Life from, from the other so, competitors in the market? Um... The answer to this always comes a little bit in, in two parts because there was Sing Life as it was and Sing Life as it is. And, and Sing Life as it was um, was a, a digital life insurer uh, looking to unlock the potential of money for everyone um, and was uh, doing that by offering digital products to advisors and customers where they could you know, have a buying experience online. We had a mobile app where they could um, interact with, with the policies. We had uh, quite a unique 
uh, proposition, uh, the SingLife account, which you can uh, still sign up for, which is an everyday insurance policy where um, as you put money into the account, you uh, earn a return on that money, but you can take it out at any point, either through a, a fast transfer or a debit card. Uh, the Singlife debit card, which when you tap and you pay for something, you're actually doing a partial surrender of your policy, which to my knowledge is, is, is a unique proposition in the whole world. To my knowledge, I'd love for someone to prove me wrong there. Um, now, of course, we got to a certain size where um, you know, we, we, we had a customer base, we had different products, but we thought, okay, how do we, how do we turbocharge this? Uh, and, and that was when the Aviva Singapore conversation uh, started. So Aviva had uh, a much larger customer base, many more products, um, many more advisors that they worked with, um, and of course, a, a legacy and a history that goes back uh, a long way. So we thought, okay, wouldn't it be great to have that increased size and scale and, and, and uh, range of products, but inject some of the SingLife um, sort of digital approach to things, more modern uh, technology, and bring out the best in both worlds, you know, be better together. Um, and, and so that's what we're, we're doing right now. Uh, you, you said my, my job specifically. Nice. So, um, you know, I'm a techie, uh, unashamed techie. Um, I, I uh, as you say, have been coding for a very long time. Uh, I love, I love uh, everything to do with tech. And so I see my role as sort of being the um, sort of the overseer and the strategist is making sure that all of the different pieces are coming together. Um, so that we have the best tech platform. Awesome. Yeah, I'm sure that, that's changed a bit <laughs> since the team, yeah. merger as well. So, so kind of like, <laughs> what, what, what are, what are uh, some of the kind of technical decisions that supported like SingLife's Life, Sing uh, growth, like even with the merger with Aviva and like, like what are kind of the challenges of like integrating those two together? Because I imagine Aviva obviously is a much older company or legacy SingLife. You know, built in the cloud. Yeah, um, so I, yeah. You know, hear about that. something you just mentioned there is, is I think a, a, a large uh, difference. One's uh, born in the cloud, digital native, and when you're born in the cloud, it isn't just that you've got a cooler data center. It means that the entire approach to technology is different, right? The way that you uh, experiment with things. We're, we're a full stack cloud user, so it's not just you know spinning up an EC2 instance and using it in, for a virtual machine. You know, we serverless wherever we can be taking advantage of modern uh, approaches wherever possible um and, and and obviously aviva's come from a very different a different place uh with a you know a traditional data center etc um so one of the things that we're actually doing right now is, is looking to see how we migrate all of all of that estate into the cloud uh, and then start iterating on top of it uh, you know moving towards a more serverless approach etc uh, etc et um but yeah there's there's been you know so many different uh decisions to be made and approaches to be taken because uh, as we as we bring all this stuff together you know the legacy of Eva had um, various connecting tissue back to to the uh, headquarters in London so we've been removing that and then rebuilding the capability either from a sing life uh, a legacy sing life piece or something brand new um, so it's essentially a new company now. It's neither SingLife nor Aviva. It's something new and something better. And that's, that's really quite, a, quite exciting. Um, I mean, really, and this is you know, the most important piece of all, really, is not the technology, but the processes and the, uh, the culture and the way of thinking. And so a lot of the work that we've been doing has been around sort of changing the, the ways of working to be more agile, to look more like a, a, a sort of a... <laughs> yeah, that sounds like a, not an easy task, um, <laughs> but an important one. 
Yeah, yeah, but uh, definitely an important one. And I agree, like, I mean, you know, some of the thought process has to change around, like, you know, moving from on-prem uh, world to the cloud, like, it's, it is a difficult one. There's, like, the training aspect, which I think is huge, because, like, like, it's a lot easier to do stuff in the cloud, but it's also a lot easier to make mistakes, yep. because it's easier to spin things up and down. Um, uh, yeah, so, like, you know, one of the big challenges, I think, people underestimate when moving to the cloud is, like, the training uh, sort of well, one, aspect of it, and how much that will actually pay off. Uh, and, well, and, and a word I like to use here, yeah. and I stole it from someone, but is is, is cloud fluency. And it's, it's incredibly important mm -hmm. through training, hands-on, whatever, to embed cloud fluency into the organization, because yeah, AMI, VPC, EC2, S3, you know, there's just so many words that we throw around, which if you have that background uh, or, or that training, then you instantly know what the person's talking about. But if you don't, then you're like, what is this person on about? These VPCs and these, you know, whatever, whatever. Um, and so, and so making sure we all have the same language, I, I see as being a really important part of that. Uh, one of the things we've done is set up a, an internal cloud center of excellence to uh, be that sort of beacon of, of uh, training and, and best principles and reference architectures and, and all of that kind of good stuff. Um, just to go back, folks, one of the things you said, and this really feeds in a little bit to, to, to Harangi Warden, actually, is one of the, you, you mentioned it being easy to do something wrong or easier to do something wrong. The kind of the flip side of that is that once you've got standardized infrastructure and standardized architectures and, uh, across all companies that are using you know, AWS in this example, then it means having automated controls becomes a lot easier because someone only has to write it once and then you can apply it to, to everyone. And I think that that's an undervalued part of having a cloud uh, architecture is, is the standardization element. Um, if you go to a, a traditional on-prem data center, every single one looks a little bit different and trying to just pick up a set of rules and drop it in and expect it to work would be you know, impossible. Yeah, and like, you know, pushing any patches or updates in a traditional data center is Absolutely. difficult because you got like Absolutely. different hardware, different OS, like all that stuff, which with AWS, you yeah. still have some of that, but a lot of that is like removed and can be automated, which I think is, again, some of the power because like some of the worst times that I remember was like sitting in the data center, <laughs> having to go around and like patch everything. It's just terrible because you like run into these weird versions of Linux that you like right. haven't seen in three or four years and the patch doesn't work and then you like figure it out. Then you like if you're like me, I was working for the, the government side of things. So I, I couldn't like Google anything inside of the data center. I actually had to leave to go do it and then like print out the directions, go back in uh, and then it like wouldn't work. And then, you know, it was terrible. <laughs> but uh, uh, that, that uh, you know, has, has made me kind of like a big adopter of the cloud, of course, um, uh, because like I, I just saw how much easier some of the the security things are to do in the cloud and, and how much better it can be if you if you do it the right way, though. I think that's the, the key point um, uh, is you got to do it the right way. So, so um, it, it's seeing life, um, uh, what do you guys do around security? And like, obviously, you kind of have some on-prem, you have uh, cloud as well, you're transitioning, which is also a challenge, but curious to hear some of the things like, you use for security. We have a little bit of, of, of many things, as, as, as you can imagine, depending on, on the heritage of the system and uh, the sort of that we're talking about. Um, I think one of the most important pieces and what we've been setting up is around the transparency into what's going on. Um, and so whether that's from setting up some kind of, um, you know, CSOC team with the relevant tools, whether it's around having an uh, SIAM, pulling in all of your log information and, and correlating it, you know, w whatever the piece 
of, of the architecture you're referring to is it's the same fundamental problem, which is transparency. Um, and so, you know, we've, we've spent a lot of time uh, over the last year building up a security function, um, and giving it the tools to then feed into as, as, as best as possible a single pane of glass um, to then go off and, and, and react to things. Um, and, you know, I think I think we've done a decent job there. Actually, it's been a quite quite an interesting um, experience for me personally um, to sort of see see the the experts at work um, putting putting that kind of thing together. We still got you know additional stuff we can do. There's always more you can do, um, but but I, I think we're in a pretty good place. Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, yeah, I mean, it's quite cool to see that progress and, and can't imagine the, the challenges that you guys have, but yeah, ultimately, uh, that's all you can do and, and, and ahead, then iterate is, uh, and iterate and iterate, right. And, and this is, this is very much a sing life legacy sing life mentality, you know, is, is it doesn't have to be perfect on day one. Um, there's some things around compliance, et cetera, but dude, hits you perfect on day one around, you know, data privacy, et cetera. But, but in general, What's more important is the speed with which you iterate than the final solution. You know, you can always do better, right? The, the sing life with Aviva say, uh, sort of motto is, you know, a, a better yeah. way. And you can always do better, but the speed with that, of that loop and how much you improve and, and get better is, is the important one. So every single time we're moving something out of the data center and putting it into the cloud, the world gets just that one little bit better, right? And we can just keep on, on, on going. So it's, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and the, the snowball effect helps too because, like, you know, the more stuff you've moved in the cloud, people get better at doing it. Subsequently, can then iterate faster because it is in the yeah. cloud, and things get better even faster over time, right? Um, yeah, so to change subjects a bit away from Sing Life and, and more to, to you, um, uh, you know, you, uh, a couple of years ago before you joined uh, Sing Life, you kind of stepped out of your um, sort of uh, career path and, and working for large orgs and uh, became an entrepreneur. Um, can you kind of share sure. your story a bit there um, and, and a while what, ago you, now, what you learned? It must be six plus years ago, um, yeah, time flies, eh? Um, seven years oh. in, where I'd worked for one company for 12 <laughs> years, uh, a big American investment bank, um, had had a great experience there, been exposed to great technologies, great people, you know, re really enjoyed my time. Um, but I kind of got to the end of my, I don't say end of my rope, because that sounds that's way too negative, but end, end of my journey, where, Prior to that, I'd always been thinking, all right, what's next? What's next? I looked at what my boss was doing and it was so exciting. I was like, oh, I want to have more sphere of influence. I want to be a manager. I want to do this. I want to do that. And then it got to a point where I was kind of like, I don't want my manager's job because it just seems like really hard HR, problem management, budgeting stuff. It, it just, you know, and, and, and it was like a, like a real hit, a real punch to the face that, that was the career, that was what came next, really. Um, you can perhaps vary a little bit, but it's not gonna be completely different. And, um, you know, by chance, a friend of mine called me up and said, hey, do you wanna set something up? And, and, and I, I saw that as the opportunity. So I quit my job, um, which was hard, you know, after 12, 12 years, financially stable, um, <laughs> to go and do early stage startups. Um, was hard. Um, and I learned a huge amount. Um, I think one of the things that I learned the most 
that I didn't realize at the time. And, and, and you know, I look back at my own writing. I, I like to write and I publish blogs and whatever, whatever. And I, I realized there was a certain naivety to it. But jumping from a large company to a early stage startup um, is hard because there's a whole bunch of um, practices and things that you just simply it's not that you're not good at it and you need to flex the muscle or, or grow the muscle. It's that you just don't even know it exists, um, you know, around procurement and legal stuff and, <laughs> and, and, you know, working with partners where that, you know, if you come from a large company, your vendors and your partners are, um, they want to work with you a lot. If you're a small company or a smaller company, you almost have to persuade people to work with you because they're making an investment in, in, in you as well. They don't want to waste all this time and then the startup go out of business. So there's all of this stuff. People talk about funding rounds, about you yeah. know pre-money, post-money. I didn't know any of that stuff. And, and so to get to the point is um, I wish that I had maybe had an interim role where I had been exposed to the startup world without necessarily being responsible for life and death of the company decisions. And, you know, when I, when people ask me about making that transition now, I often suggest, you know, if you can go and work in a AWS or a, maybe even a grab, um, where you have exposure to this kind of stuff, you're going to learn a whole bunch of, of, of new concepts and ideas that you can then take off and, um, uh, an implement or a medium-sized startup, whatever, it, whatever, whatever it is. But early stages is really hard. And, and you know, when I was at AWS, every single day I was interacting with, you know, startups and larger companies, whatever it might be. Um, but learning all the time, and and then I take a lot of those principles and uh, apply it. Yeah, definitely agree. I think um, uh, you know, having that sort of like fast-moving uh, company experience, and then like getting in touch a bit of like all those things you mentioned. Um, uh, is really yeah. useful well, and not you know, to, like, kudos to you, man. Just, kudos you know, to you. So... Um, <laughs> well, well done. Uh, well, I, I've definitely made a ton of mistakes along the way, but like, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, I had some ideas from like pounds here. I got to watch it grow and, and I also worked at Grab, of course, and, um, Grab was already kind of mature when I was there, but, but yeah, I think yeah. It, it is important to kind of see that growth and see how companies mature because otherwise you, you don't really understand it. It's, it's yeah, it's hard. Um, and the plenty, yeah, plenty of <laughs> uncomfortable and terrible situations that you have to go through part of that learning Absolutely. experience, but Hey, Absolutely. at least you remember them. That's the, yeah. So, um, yeah, I think there's, um, you kind of believe in, in making banking technology great again. So, so how far do you think we've come and like, what so that was, that was an that I wrote still exists? about making banking technology great again. And, and it was of course during the Trump era. And so it was a bit of tongue in cheek in the naming. Um, <laughs> that that approach that I was talking about um, was about how do you take some of the principles that I had learned in the startup world and then if I was to sort of go back to my previous self and, and ask for advice, what what advice would I be taking? Um, and so it's, it's almost a, a letter to myself or, or my previous self. Um, it's interesting that I think you know, I wrote that four years ago. I don't think anything has really changed particularly, um, or at least in the, the world that I operate in. It's possible in Europe it's a bit different because things like neobanking is a little bit further along. And so perhaps some of those lessons are feeding back into the traditional enterprise. 
Um, but yeah, the, the, the main sort of thrust of all of that was around making sure that um, you know, senior technologists were talking to the right kind of people, you know, go and talk to a startup CTO and, and see what you can learn from them. Um, you know, be about being more agile, be be more iterative in nature. Um, I don't think it's changed that much. <laughs> um, you know, with exceptions, with exceptions, and some of the bigger uh, financial yeah. institutions are trying. At you know, thing like as it now is, is is very much trying. And you know, I hope to be driving some of the ideas that I had previously into the organisation. Um, but but it, it's hard, and 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 it's a it's a borderline philosophical question is if you're a giant company or not even a giant company, if you're a large company and you've got mainframes and you've got, you know, very traditional technology and you've got traditional tech management in place, you know, how, how do you actually change that? Is it even possible? Um, so yeah, I, uh, I find that a good sort of coffee or, 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 or beer conversation to have with people because um, it, 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 I think it borders on philosophy. Is it even possible? Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, at Palantir, I spent a lot of time selling to, to banks um, been working with banks. And yeah, I mean, this is very hard. <laughs> like, just like, I mean, they had already bought it. And it would take like six months to get it from the time they purchased it. And Palantir is, is not cheap by any means. Um, right. uh, of course, it has huge impact to these companies, but it takes a while to kind of get it through right. Right. to the point where even anyone can use it on the user end side of things, right? Um, which is understandable because of like the risk and the, the sort of like scrutiny that they're under from regulators. And <laughs> if you touch the US dollar, you got the most painful regulator in the world uh, looking after you. Most banks have to touch the US dollar in some way. Uh, um, and they, they spit out big fines. So it's like it, it makes sense why they're a bit uh, risk averse. Um, but it's unfortunate, right? Because I mean, you know, the resources they have, a lot of the stuff they could do if they could move faster, at least in certain areas of their business, which I think some of them are starting to do um, a bit more recently, but it's still, I think it's a long journey. And you know, like to your point, like who knows whether they'll ever, hopefully, ever get definitely. there, um, um, but hopefully, but, yeah. <laughs> and this is something that we're obviously working through at, at Sing Life at the moment is when you have um, a starting point with a lot of legacy uh, infrastructure and, and, and architecture um, has such gravity, right? It, 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 it's not a simple thing. Um, but then when you've got the neobanks coming along and you've got the um, sort of the, the, the FinTech enabled players who don't carry some of that baggage or that weight, um, you know, are they gonna be able to capitalize on that and become dominant players? Um, I, I don't think there's a clear answer to that one. Um, you know, we've we've had neobanks for a while now, and and yet most of the big banks are, are still doing just fine. Um, so is it just a function of time? Uh, there's also really good questions around what is the function of one of those larger banks? Is it to become sort of an embedded finance layer where you have sort of banking as a service from one of the big global banks with licenses everywhere that then just plugs into local players who, who then just treat it as a, like plugging in the electricity. Um, and, and, you know, you're seeing, you're seeing a few of the bigger banks try to do that now. Um, it's, it's a very exciting time to be alive. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. I mean, all kinds of exciting stuff going on in the world. Um, 
Yeah, definitely. Um, so you also wrote a blog post um, uh, okay. a bit about, um, uh, you know, in, I'll, I'll quote you here. In 2022, the, the company of the future will be all in with a cloud provider such as AWS, with the provider handling all the hard computer science problems. Application developers will just be writing small units of business logic, which plug into a serverless mesh, and the business teams will be writing their own front ends. Um, so curious to see, like, you made that in 2019, uh, almost three years ago. So <laughs> curious to see, like, how much of that is true. I'd say, like, Karangi is completely serverless, uh, at least our, our Warden platform is. Uh, so part of that we're definitely living up to, and I, I think it kind of aligns with, uh, you know, a lot of a lot of our work. But, of course, we're a, so we're a young company, but, um, yeah, curious to hear <laughs> um, your thoughts on your own prediction. The, the one thing that jumps out at me more than anything else, um, and, and this is perhaps, you know, a good self-learning or something to reflect upon is that I wrote it, as you said, in early 2019, uh, so three years ago, and I think I massively overestimated how much could be done in three years. Um, one, of, one of the sort of quotes that I like is we overestimate what can be done in the short term and underestimate what can be done in the long term. And so so clearly I'm not correct, clearly, but I'd like to say that some of the principles I was trying to get at have become quite well adopted. The, the low no-code point, um, I think, is probably the one that I'm most interested in, is that I have this idea that the best way for um, mostly internal or B2B applications to, to uh, be sort of the, the, the future of those roadmaps would be for the experts who understand the domain the best to be writing their own user interfaces through low no-code tools um, with then sort of APIs for the functionality being provided by either external parties or the internal teams that then get presented and stitched together by, by the business user. Um, I think I was correct in that low no-code has become the buzzword um, over the last three or four years. And um, that's certainly where a lot of people are taking things. What I was perhaps wrong about or premature about was, would it be the techies using that loaner code environment or the business users? And my prediction was that it would be for business users, but in practice, I haven't really seen that. Um, it's still been the techies doing it. So it'll be interesting for me for us to observe at what point do techies sort of let go and, and let business people start defining their, their own interfaces? Uh, I, haven't, I haven't seen that. Um, the serverless bit, I like to think again, I was, I was probably correct, just a little premature. Um, the understanding of, of Lambda and uh, AWS Lambda or Google Cloud Functions or whatever it might be is, is much better now than it was. Um, I, I, it's rare now to see people who have no knowledge of it, um, even if they haven't necessarily implemented it, but it, it's at least a, a, a good yeah. concept. And, and honestly, I, I still think that that's one of the biggest, the biggest opportunities we have ahead of ourselves, that um, anytime that I can remove functionality and put it into a SaaS provider and then just plug it into me, um, assuming the provider passes due diligence and all that good stuff, I'd rather do that. But if I'm going to have to have something running within my own environment, I'd rather not have a server. And the fewer number of servers I can have within my um, within my ecosystem, the better. And I will continue to push that one heavily. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, a, a lot of times, like, you know, I have 
um, we have customers that like, <laughs> say yeah. like, oh, you yeah. know, well, we can build this. And it's like, you can build anything, but like, would you rather engineers <laughs> spending right. time on building what your like core business focus is? Because that's what I want to do. Like, uh, and that's like what you're getting by buying Absolutely. your SaaS product. Um, and ultimately, if you're putting that money into R&D of something else, you're not putting it into your own product, which is how you generate revenue. So that's a business choice, but Absolutely. if I was you, I would definitely go into what's going to generate revenue for my company, not what um, something that someone else has no, already I, done I, I, and he's continuing and to build on. You, right? you, know, I don't think you mentioned earlier about patch right? management is, is in the data center. You know, wow. even patch management in the cloud, it's still patch management. And if I can avoid that, or, or rather someone else has the responsibility for it, then of course I would look at Log4J, right? That was a perfect example where every CISO and senior techie in the world spent nothing else for a week than, than uh, addressing log4j issues. Um, for the serverless stuff, when it was running on, on the cloud providers, they had it all patched up within you know, 24 hours. Um, so that's a, a, a huge difference and a very important difference. Um, but all of these little hidden costs, and as you say, there's also the ongoing improvements and um, almost crowdsourcing of ideas where if someone has an, is an expert in a particular domain or particular function, they can continue to iterate and improve on it. And then as the consumer of that, you kind of get stuff for free um, because because you're, you're collectively pooling the best ideas and then someone else is implementing it. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a bit of a no-brainer to me, actually. <laughs> but it's not a no-brainer. Yeah, yeah same. Um, uh, but when the conversation comes up enough to where I have written down answers, for how I, 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 uh, I, I mentioned it to potential and, and, and customers, right? I mean, um, yeah, it's, it's important sort of uh, objection that, that does happen, right? Um, yeah, so, so kind of like um, kind of like wrapping things up, we're, we're just about at 30 minutes. Um, finally, like what kind of trends do you see on the uh, horizon for fintech and insurtech and What's the tra trajectory of it in Europe? Um, lots of exciting things happening, uh, crypto, et cetera. So being, curious to hear your, your be, thoughts. I could be wrong. I don't see there being a massive change in direction. Um, I see it more being around um, consolidation is the wrong word. Um, at the moment, it, it, in too many places, crypto, wealth management, insurance, banking, we have a very siloed approach and a given customer might have four or five different uh, apps. Uh, and, and then you've got things like the personal finance managers which try and pool the data, but you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good start, it's a good start. But I think we're gonna see more and more blurring of the lines between these asset classes um, from a customer perspective, not necessarily a manufacturer or risk carrier's perspective. Um, so that as a customer, I get a single holistic experience with, you know, whatever product I want, all embedded into the same um, interface and, and, and potentially not even coming from the same risk carriers, right? One of the things that Single Life has, which is awesome, is that we have a, a whole bunch of licenses. We can produce, you know, many, many things. Yeah. Um, but, you know, let's, let's just use it as, an, as the archetypal example, crypto. You know, we don't have any sort of crypto capability, but if we wanted to plug that into an overall ecosystem, right, that would that would be a possibility. And so um, I, I, I see uh, that becoming a, a much more um, uh, common approach is to have a single pane of glass into everything. And then very closely related to that, uh, I see retirement and savings being um, 
a trend and probably mm. hopefully um the word retirement actually get dropped a little bit from marketing and from approaches right we've all heard about the fire number the financially independent retire early so i think that that's a much better way of thinking about things because i'm 40 now and i still think it's going to be 100 years until i retire right retirement is not something that i'm thinking about in any way shape or form because whenever we think about retirement we think about being 65 years old going yeah. and sitting on the porch and you know watching your grandchildren um but that isn't what retirement means it's just that we've overloaded the word so much that's that's what we we think about so if we talk about a fire number as being something where the outcome is fixed but the date moves the outcome is i no longer need to worry about having a job that i could stop working at any time and i'd be fine yeah now if that's the fixed outcome you start making your decisions about how to bring the date at which that fixed outcome can happen earlier. So to give a very simple example, if someone says to me, hey, do you wanna go on holiday to Thailand this weekend? I go, oh yeah, that's cool. I go off and I spend my money, I go to Thailand. If in my app, it could say, by going to Thailand this weekend, instead of saving the money in this product, the date that you can be financially independent just move back four days, right? It gamified the crap out of it. Then, then suddenly I'm like, oh, actually, do I need to go to yeah. Thailand? Maybe I should invest that money. And, mm -hmm. and, 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 and making the axis that moves up and down a date instead of a numerical value and gamifying it all, I think is, is, is how we're going to start thinking about things and then plugging in the products to support that. And all the little fintechs will be doing product comparison tools and planning tools and all that kind of good stuff to, to, to hit that outcome. And then the manufacturers will be present, creating the products to plug into those fintechs to then give those user experiences. So that's where I think it's going. Yeah, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, all those are problems that uh, I, I at least think about every day. I'm sure many people will do as well. And um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's like, uh, it's on my mind all the time. So I imagine it is for, for other people also. So it's a good problem to solve. And yeah, I mean, like being able to like measure and sort of understand right. different potential outcomes right. Right. Uh, as a, you know, running uh, a company is also sounds very important in a, a company as well, right? Um, uh, so I, I think it's, it's quite interesting. And um, yeah, I look forward to seeing the future of that. I mean, it, it does only get easier because it's all data and it's somewhere. And once it's integrated, of course, like you can start to make sort of potential predictions or understand potential outcomes, which you know, make, helps you make better decisions at the end of the day, which is why, like, as a business, we invest in, in uh, similar things to that, or the ability to do that with, with dashboards, et cetera. Um, okay. But cool. Um, thanks so much, Ned, for, for uh, coming on the podcast today. There's lots of interesting oh, stuff to talk about. Thanks for having about. me, and um, thank you for listening, sure listening to me. For the, the and, uh, listeners, and um, as always, appreciate the time. Thank you.